0: good morning. So what do you think about the Bible? And obviously you're here. There's respect for the Bible. Do you allow the Bible to shape your life in such a way that it draws you closer to Jesus and conforms you into the image of Jesus Christ? The reason I ask that is because the Bible is incredibly powerful. We heard a little bit about that this morning in the Little uh, the little Reader's Theater, about how God's Word uh, desires to grab a hold of us and change us in and to draw us not only into a relationship with Jesus, but to help us through the ins and outs, the difficulties and the challenges of time. I'm going to invite you to turn into the text that uh, Terry read earlier, uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. And as you turn there, I just want to remind you of a couple things. So James is, is writing to 12 tribes. They're dispersed. They're Jewish people. They've been dispersed probably for their faith, all right? And these dispersed people, we need to remember that they, this was an oral culture. So most of the truth, most of the traditions, most of the wisdom, most of all of those stories, those were passed down word by word, from, from father to son, mother to daughter, from family to family. It was passed down orally to, to people. So this is the oral tradition, listening and hearing the, the word of God, listening and hearing was, was absolutely critical to, to their spiritual life. The other thing that I, I think is important for us to remember is this. I've asked you to turn and open your Bible. James isn't asking them to turn and open their Bible. They're probably hearing the Bible, they're hearing the, the letter for the first time, or they're hearing it from, from, from a person reciting it. It's not like they have their iPad, they have their Bible, they can just open the Bible and begin to turn to a text. You and I have the great privilege of reading this book and meditating on this book, and allowing this book to transform our lives. And the reason I, I tell you that, remind you that is because Christianity today had an article this week. And evidently in Iran, it's one of the fastest-growing movements of Christianity. And in the nation of Iran, they have 62 distinct language groups, and according to this Corpus translating agency, nine of which are over one million people. So they have these 62 distinct language groups. Nine of them have over a million people. And just recently, within the last couple of months or so, they have 12 new translations of the Bible in the dialect that people can hear. So people in Galaki and the Mazadarani, I don't even know how to say it, and other citizens of Iran are now able to hear the Bible in their own dialect. And this is the significance of them being to hear their their Bible in their own dialect. There's one gal. And, and she told about the significance. And this is what she said. Translating the Bible is God's way not simply to save people, this gal said, but to return glory to humiliated minority peoples. And the reason that was so important for her to say is because she lived in Iran in a minority group. She was ostracized. She was pushed aside. She had no value. She grew up basically not a part of the majority group, whatever the majority group would be. And when she embraced the gospel, when she heard about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the value that Jesus gives to people who've been created in the image of God, it radically changed her life. And that's what's happening among these people groups. They are understanding who God is, And God is reforming their understanding of a relationship with him and their responsibility to other people and their responsibility out in the world. And so God's word transforms us in a powerful, powerful way. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's for all of us. No matter where you would find yourself today, what struggle, what issue you're wrestling with, the Bible says it wants to be a light for your path and showing you the direction that you need to go in life. In the gospel, in, in the, not the gospel, in the, in the letter that James wrote, remember he's writing to dispersed people. He's writing to Jewish people, most likely having some type of understanding of the Old Testament. So as they approach their relationship with Yahweh, as they approach their relationship with God, I'm sure they could look back on certain texts in the Old Testament to evaluate and look at about how they can live and grow and have success in life. Joshua, for instance. Moses is getting ready to pass away. Joshua is getting ready to lead the people into the promised land. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 says this. And no doubt these Jewish people would probably know this. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and then you'll be successful. Joshua's getting ready to lead a million people into the promised land. And God's giving him directions and said, listen, you need to hang on to the truth and the reality of who I am. as written in God's word. And if you do that, guess what? You're going to be successful and effective in leading these people into the promised land. Joshua, will you do that? And will you train that to the people? The Psalms speak of God's blessing. Psalm 1 talks about the one who delights and meditates in the law of the Lord. Psalm 19 says this. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them as your servant warned, and keeping him there is great reward. What we hold in our hands and the great privilege that we have to read every day is that this book will radically transform our life. Not because of the words on a page, because it points us to the person who loves us more than anything else and cares for us more than anything else and wants the absolute best for our lives. He wants us to be effective. God wants us to be successful. He wants us to have that blessed life that the Bible talks about. One last text from the prophets. The prophet Isaiah heard this. And I want you to think about that in the context of the last week and all of the rain that we've experienced the last week. God spoke to Isaiah these words. Isaiah chapter 55. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. the rain that we experience and how that rain is coming and is supposed to be watering all of the, the, the plants and all of the, the crops and all of those things to provide something for us. And now knowing that that's what God's word desires to do is to help us to grow and mature in our faith in such a way that we can find success and effectiveness, even in the midst of ugliness of life even in the difficulties and challenges of life. God's word speaks to us in such a way that will encourage our very soul when nothing in this world can. I read in in Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, it talks about God knowing the hidden things in life. There may be the hidden things in your life that absolutely no one knows about. And and the, the Bible says that God sheds light in the midst of the darkness the darkness of the human soul, God can break through with light. And it's a reminder of who He is and what He wants from us and how He desires for us to live lives abundant and free. And so with that in mind, I I want us to come to the Word of God this morning with the idea that what I want to do, what we want to do is we want to take the Word of God and we want to make sure that we are not only living for the Word of God, abiding in Christ, but applying it to our lives. James chapter 1. Let me just read the text. My dear brothers... Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What does God desire for us? That we would live a righteous life. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. After looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man, the person who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. The perfect law that gives freedom. What does God desire for us to experience? Freedom. Not bondage. He wants us to be a slave to God, Romans chapter 6, verse 22. He wants to be slave to him because he's come to actually set us free from all the trappings of the world into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it will be blessed in what he does. Over and over we have the repetition of the word. Over and over we have the repetition of the word. Listen, I wonder what God would have for us this morning. Father... Psalm 119 says, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word. And Father, I simply ask that you would do that today, that you would open our eyes that we would see the wonder and the beauty of Jesus and who he is and what he would have for our lives, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the reality that you love us, that you care for us. No matter where we would find ourselves today, young, old, whatever we're going through experiencing, God, you desire to reveal Yourself to us. And Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So James says, take note of this. It's, it's almost like um, he's, he's thinking about something that's already happened. And maybe he's thinking about what he's heard from the life of Jesus. And if these words about walking in obedience and applying God's word to our life sound familiar, I, I think it's because of what we heard last week in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Remember, about Jesus Telling the people about building a foundation of your life. How do you build? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Wise men build their foundation. They build a foundation on the solid Word of God. And I think what James wants to do, James, as a pastor who loves his people, what he wants to do is he wants to point us to the reality of what God's Word can do in our life. And I think he does two things. I want to look at two things. First of all, there's a warning. There's a warning of merely just listening to the Word of God. In other words, there's a warning. I, I'm, I'm just coming to church, and I'm checking off the bosses. I listen, but I don't really apply God's Word to my life throughout the week. So there's a warning here. And the second thing is I think he gives us some ways to respond that we can find effectiveness or success, if you will, in God's word. So that's kind of the two broad categories that when I want to look at this morning. So let's look at the, the warnings, if you will. Again, this is this is the heart of a pastor. James, three times in this chapter, he says this. My beloved brothers, my beloved sisters, my family, my family members. I I love you so much. I care for you so much that what I want to do is I want to actually point you in the right direction. I want you to find success. I want you to find effectiveness. And I think ultimately what he wants them to do is in verse 21. Notice what he says in verse 21. Humbly accept the word planted in you. The word the word, what the, the word has been planted in you. In what way is the word been planted in you? If you go back and look at verse 18, it talks about the word of God being planted inside of them through the new birth. With the reality of who Jesus is, with the reality of his death on the cross, with the reality of what he would have for our lives, the word of God has been planted. It's like a seed that goes inside of us. And what it wants to do is through the Holy Spirit of God, through the word of God, it wants to help us to grow. And so I think what, what James is saying, listen, I, I want to warn you of some areas of your life that maybe we can get off track, if you will. We don't like warnings. Sometimes we, we brisk at warnings, but warnings are there for a purpose, aren't they? Warnings are good. So what I did was I, I have five slides I want to show you. They're just fun little slides, and I'm going to have a purpose for showing them, but they're warnings. So warning number one. Danger, if this isn't enough to prevent you from touching a wire fence, then by all means go ahead and see what high voltage feels like. That's a warning of an electric fence, all right? Second one, child's shirt. This is posted in the shirt. Remove child before washing. <laughs> Third one. I thought this one was a little bit concerning. Notice what it says. This is a hidden geode excavation, right? This is rocks and stuff. Warning, this set contains goggles that should not be used as protective eyewear. They are there to simulate safety and will pro- provide no protection. I don't know that I get that, to be honest with you. What about a tag on a shirt? Caution, do not iron while wearing a shirt. Ladies, the next time your husband comes up and asks you to iron the shirt, tell him to put it on, all right? I thought this last one was pretty good. It says this, beware, do not cross this pasture unless you can do it in nine seconds because the bull can do it in 10. (laughs) Okay, so those are just warning signs. And I'm going to come back to them because we can laugh at them and think they're absolutely funny. But I think what what, what James is doing said, listen, you have to be aware that there are certain things in our life that we can get off track and he has some warnings here I just want to walk through the warnings with you feel the warning number one is this it's deception we can be deceived in thinking that we really are listening to the word of God notice verse 19 it says let everyone be quick to listen if you examine this passage and you were to kind of outline it over and over you'd hear the word mentioned but you'd also see the word listen it's mentioned three times in the passage the Word, and listen to the Word. Look at verse 22, and I think this is what James is getting us to. Verse 22 says this, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What's the warning? The warning is deception. He wants us to listen so that we're not deceived. The word deceived means this. It means to cheat or to falsely reason. It means to misunderstand. When we casually listen to the word and allow it to go one in, in one ear and right out the other, you know what we're actually doing? We are cheating ourselves and deceiving ourselves of the reality of the goodness of God and who he is and what he would have for our lives. Isn't that what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve? The way that they were tempted? Well, God's just holding something back from you. And if you do this, your eyes are going to be enlightened and you're going to see things and you're going to live entirely different lives. And I think that's what we do. We cheat and we deceive ourselves and think, well, you know what, Lord, I got this. I don't need to listen to the warning sign. I don't need to listen to the warning sign of the Bible. I got this. I can handle this. I can do this. Listen, the word of God can warm your heart without moving your soul. The word of God can inform you without transforming your mind and your heart and your life. Look at the Pharisees. Look at the religious leaders. Look at a lot of liberal writing that we see today. These people immerse themselves in the word of God, and yet they have no relationship with God. Listen, the word of God can be a part of your life if you just listen to it. But if you don't dig deeper and begin to meditate and put your life in the word of God and to allow it to saturate your heart and mind and change your direction, nothing's going to happen. And by the way, Jesus, after the parable of the sower and the parable of the land, he gave a warning. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 4. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you in even more. With the measure you use. Let me ask you what measurement are you using with the Word of God? Do you come to the Word of God with this little, with this little cup? And, and, and that's the way you're measuring your life in accordance with the Word of God? Or are you taking a big scoop and saying, man, I want all of what the Word of God has to say? He's talking about the way that we measure our, our understanding and listening to the Word of God, the parable of the soul. And he wants us to dig down deep. And I think what James is warning us is this. When it comes to the Word of God, I, I want to be alert. And I want to be ready. And I want to be cl- quick to listen. So will it be maybe a, a, a young person going to a Bible study? Or maybe a Bible study, or, or maybe something that you're doing along with some other person, or maybe it's coming to church. What, what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to open my Bible, and what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to walk through the Bible, and I'm going to ask God to open my mind that I would see wonderful things in His Word, and then I'm going to ask the Word of God. I ask the Lord to take the Word of God and to transform my life. No matter what I would be doing, what I would be going through in life? I, I think that is saying so we don't deceive ourselves into just merely hearing the Word of God. And not allowing the word of God to penetrate our heart, mind, and soul and to radically changes. So, the warning number one is against deception. Warning number two is don't be impulsive. Look at verse 19 again. Let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to speak. Are we slow to speak? The reason I ask this is if, if you go back and read James again, I think these people, this congregation, these groups, I think they had a challenge with the way that they spoke to one another. They were very impulsive in the way that they would speak and respond to each other. Let me give you a couple of examples. In chapter 1, verse 26, he has to write about reigning in your tongue. Make sure you reign in your tongue. Make sure you take proper care of your tongue. Don't go wild with your tongue. In chapter 3, verse 1, it's a warning to teachers. It's a warning to those who are teaching, instructing. Be careful because the responsibility that you have as teachers is incredibly important. Be mindful of the way that you would teach the Bible. And by the way, chapter three, verse nine, he says this verse. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. With it, we curse men who've been made in God's likeness, and it should not be that way. I think the reason he puts that in there is because that's what people were doing. People in the context of a Christian community were cursing people who've made in the image of God and then praising the Lord. And I think if we're honest, we do the same things. We may not verbally say that, but maybe we curse people in our hearts. I think they're struggling with all these things. Chapter 4, verse 1, they're quarreling with one another. Why were they quarreling with one another? Because they weren't getting what they wanted. This person wasn't getting what he wanted. So what do they do? They begin to strike up a conversation and begin to quarrel with one another. Chapter 4, verse 13, some are boasting about their lives. In chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. They were not dependable because they would say one thing and go ahead and do the other. They're absolutely not dependable. Listen, James is speaking to people here who are having a challenge, if you will, about being impulsive in the way that they respond in the context of a Christian community. James, I would imagine, as a a Jewish believer, would rely not only on the ministry and the words of Jesus, but also on wisdom literature, probably the book of Proverbs, and maybe even some Jewish teachings, if you will, that they would have. Proverbs 10, verse 19, it says this about the words that we would use says, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. You know, there are times when I just need to listen. And I don't need to respond. And I need to trust that through the Holy Spirit of God, I can listen and at the appropriate time, I can respond. And maybe the way that I would respond to another person in the context of a Christian community is important. I'm not always complaining. I'm not always talking about my life. I'm not always boasting about the things that I've done. My frame of reference with other people is not always about me. My frame of reference is about others and what's going on in their lives and the needs and who God is and what he would do. I'm not talking about other people in a way that would gossip. What, what, what James is reminding us, there's, there's some warnings here about being deceived. There's some warnings here about being impulsive. And when I'm slow, to respond to other people and, and slow to speak. It gives me the opportunity to allow the Spirit of God, to allow the Word of God. Maybe the Spirit of God is going to bring a scripture, Proverbs, to the mind that can help the situation with other people. See, he's talking about listening. In the context of Christian community, do we want to just share opinions or do we want to say, you know what, th- th- maybe this verse would help you because it's helped me before. James is dealing with some warnings here. Warnings about deception, warning about impulsiveness. The third warning here is about a lack of self-control. Look at verse 19 and 20 again. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Ultimately, what is James trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to respond to the Word, and he's trying to get us to live out the righteous life that God desires. That's ultimately what he's trying to do. And what's the warning here? What's the challenge here? The challenge here is this. It's a lack of self-control. It's a lack of self-control that we would just spout off and we would become angry and we would respond in a way that's inappropriate. Maybe that's physically, that's, maybe that's emotionally. A- anger can be seen in such a way that, well, you've done something to me, so I'm just not going to respond to you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just shut you off and I'm going to ignore you and pretend that you do not exist. There's a lot of ways that we can lack self-control when it comes to a relationship with another person. One man said this that I thought was interesting. He said, people who fly into a rage often make bad landings. Have you ever done that? You ever done or said something that you want to take back, you've rung the bell, and now you can't unring the bell? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it said something to your spouse or to another person. You know, that... Frustration, the anger has raised up inside of us and we've just responded in a way. Listen, nothing will stop communication between spouse, children, and other people when we lack self-control in a relationship. And I think if we're honest, we've all done this. Well, I have done this before. got frustrated with maybe a, my wife at something. And then I've got to go back and I've got to unwind that and I've got to go seek forgiveness and... And and what James, I think, is reminding us here is that, listen, there's some warning signs that will hinder you in your relationship with God. It will hinder you in your relationship of walking with Jesus. And we need to be mindful of those things. There's another warning. The final warning is this. It's a warning of sin. Look at verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Therefore, in other words, what he said before and now I'm going to summarize. All of that stuff was bad. Get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. I, I think this is helpful here because what James does, he kind of gives us a word picture with the idea of uh, get rid of all moral filth. The get rid of has the idea of, of removing something like removing something that's that looks bad or is, is bad in your life. You know, you as moms, as dads, you know what it was like when your kids would go out maybe on a rainy day or a money day, they would go out in the backyard and they would play or they would do something. And then they come inside, and what they want to do is they want to come in, and they look like just, just terror because all they have on is mud and dirt and all of that kind of stuff. And, and what the mom does at that particular point, don't, don't you stop them at the door and say, wait a minute, you're not coming in here. You need to remove all of that stuff. That, that's what James is talking about here. Remove what? The dirt. That's what sin is. Sin is dirt. The moral filth that's surrounding us, remove that, remove the stuff that's inside of us. And then what I want you to do is to just take it off and move ahead. And I think what James is doing here is James is offering a warning to all of the different things that we can be influenced by, if you will, in order to hinder us in the righteous life that God would have us to live and to walk with. So let me go back to the warning signs that I showed you. So those warning signs were just kind of humorous little things. And we look at them and we laugh at them and go, oh, yeah, I would never touch an electric fence. Right. I would never do that. And I would never iron a shirt when it was on. I, I understand all that. But here's the question that I have. If James has just given us warnings about the way that we would live our life, do we just ignore those things when we're confronted in our lives by the word of God? Do we just pass over them? And think, well, that's not applying to me. That doesn't have any relevance in my life. And we just kind of run through it. We kind of laugh at it. When the the word of God confronts us, maybe a habit in our life, maybe a thought life, maybe something that we're doing, maybe the way that we're acting, responding to another person, do we just kind of laugh at it and push it aside? Because if we're responding that way, that's not what God would have from us. And that means we're just simply listening to the word of God, and we're not walking in obedience to what God would have. And I think what we need to do is remember what God is doing is God is ultimately conforming us into the image of his son. And one of the ways that God does that is the use of the word of God in our lives to change us and to transform us. Soren Kierkegaard, who was a philosopher in the 1800s, I like this. He said this, when you read God's word, you must be constantly saying to yourself, it's talking to me about me. That's what I love about reading the Bible, especially the Psalms. I read David's life and go, wow, David had some real challenges in life. And you see David's emotion as he fights his enemies and he fights Absalom. And We read the, the, the wonder and the beauty of, of the Psalms and, and we get a picture of ourselves and those frustrations that we have. Martin Luther said this, and I love this. And he says, for some years now, I have read through the Bible twice every year. Isn't that interesting? That's a lot of reading. If you picture the Bible to be a mighty tree and every word a little branch, I have shaken every one of those branches because I wanted to know what it was and what it meant. Boy, that's kind of what I want to do is I want to continue to read the word of God, allow the word of God to come into my life and to shape me and to mold me the image of Jesus Christ. So we have warnings from James about what we may need to do to redirect in our life. And then he ends this section with the way that we respond. And that's what I want to just follow the last couple of minutes. How should we respond? 2024, we're just beginning their year. We haven't moved out of the month of Uh, of January how what are some things that I can do to respond to the word of God look at verse 21 again therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and do what humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you humbly accept the word that's implanted in you and what that's going to do is that's going to radically shape your life let me ask you what are the influences in your life today Like, what are the major influences of your life? Is it a person? Is it a job? Is it something else? Is it a book? I mean, we're all influenced by things. We're all learners. We're all growers uh, wanting to grow. Let me ask you, how many messages you get each day, each week? I I found that over the last month or two, I've become very popular. Every day I get messages from people, and they want me to vote a certain way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Vote this way. Click on this line and and vote this way. Respond in this way. And then I also get messages from a a guy who wants to buy my house. And I I always know when when it's not good. Clinton. That's a dead sign. Because the only time that word was used was with my mom. And she would say, Clinton, Paul, Hamilton, get back in here. It's a dead ringer that they want something from me. Or there's, I missed a package, Clinton. Clinton, I missed a package. If you will just send us your name, address, phone number, social security number, credit card, and your mother's maiden name, we're going to deliver that package. That's when we get all kinds of messages, all kinds of ways that we're supposed to respond. And so what I want to do is I just want to remind us that one of the ways that you and I can respond is to the Word of God and what God would have it in our lives. Verse 21, it says again, "Humbly accept the word planted." And you know what that word? Uh, Humbly means it means submit. I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my life. I'm going to lay my life under the authority of God's word. It has the idea of a welcome mat. Last night as I was walking in my house, I looked and I'm like, oh, we got the welcome mat here. That's kind of what he's talking about. I'm laying the welcome mat, if you will, of God's word in my life. And what I'm going to do is when God's word speaks to me, I'm going to find a way to respond to it. There is a great example of this in the book of Acts. Paul goes to Thessalonica and the mob is there. And they basically beaten him and run him out of town. And then they move from Thessalonica and they go up to Berea. They go to another city. And notice how the people in Berea, Acts chapter 17, how they respond. It says this. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So Paul is giving them this truth and they're, they're lining out the scripture and they're saying, okay, Paul, where does what you're saying align with the scriptures here? And we're going to examine this and we're going to take a look at it and we're going to allow that, we're going to with eagerness allow that to, to transform and shape our lives. And I think that's what he's saying. Laying a welcome mat out to the word of God so that the word of God is allowed to transform my life. Peter said this, for you have been born again Remember the, the, perishable, the, the word implanted in you. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah. For all the people are like grass, all the glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word that was preached to you. And so my question is, how do, we, how do we rightly handle the Word of God? I mean, are we just casual about it? Well, you know, it's something we do on Sunday. Are we just kind of dismissive about it? Especially if it rubs us the wrong way? We just kind of push it aside? I came across this illustration. It's almost baseball season. Um, so it's appropriate for me to give this illustration. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Ichiro Suzuki. And he's a Japanese-born baseball player. And he played for the Seattle Mariners. And he was a good baseball player. He was a very, very good hitter. But one of the things that he did differently as a hitter than every other teammate that he had been around and almost every other professional baseball player was the way that they treated his bats. See, to him, the bats and the gloves were instruments that they would use to be effective in their trade. He said this in Japan, we take care of our instruments, our bats and gloves. We take care of them well because these things are very important. So the Mizuno Sports Equipment Company, what they did, because he didn't want to carry his bats in the bat bag, they created a box for him. And so he put all of his baseball bats in a box. And he put them in there in a shockproof, moisture-free environment. Inside the case was a dehumidifying contraption with the bats and two bags of pellets that were there to absorb moisture. Isn't that odd? And isn't that bizarre? He once took a bat and he got hit it on the ground and and struck it on the ground. He took that bat back to his hotel room as a way of respect the instrument that he uses to play baseball. And I, I find that just interesting. And my point is this. If this guy's willing to treat a baseball bat that way, what's the parallel to how we would treat the Bible? And again, I'm not talking about throwing it. I'm not talking about anything like that. What I'm talking about is the way that we respond to this instrument that God has given to us to allow us to shape our lives in a powerful way. Three ways that we can apply God's word. Number one, meditate on it. Look at verse 25. The one who looks intently into the perfect law that does what? That gives us free Looks intently. When Peter went to the tomb on resurrection day, when Peter went into the tomb, John stayed at the door. And what Peter did, he went in and he peered in and he looked intently. He was looking in there. Is Jesus in there or not? That's what we were told. So he's peering into that, looking intently. And I think that's what James is asking us to do. Peer intently into the word of God and allow that word to penetrate your life. And the reason I say that is because, listen, I get it. When you've been around Christianity, when you've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I get it. It's hard sometimes to read through some of the same texts of Scripture. But my challenge would be this, to meditate in such a way that I'm going to go through the Bible and I'm going to ask a few questions. Is there a promise there? Is there a promise in this text that I need to, to claim? Is this teaching me something about God and His nature and His character? And why is the Old Testament pointing me to the person of Jesus? Is there some other way that I can, I can choose to respond here? Is there something about God that I need to learn? As I said, Daniel chapter 2, verse 22. Let me just read the verse again. And I've read this verse. One verse, Daniel was able to interpret the dream. And this was his response. Daniel, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Man, if your life is ever horrible and you feel like you're all alone because of the darkness of the human soul, The Bible says this, God knows all about it. And not only that, but he provides light in the midst of darkness. Why would I not want to pine the word of God? If God knows me more intimately than anyone else in the world, why would I not want to allow this word, the perfect law of freedom, freedom to penetrate my heart, mind, and soul? I think that's what he's saying to us. Second thing is this, meditate. Second thing is this, A method for studying the Bible. Look at verse 25, but one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and what continues to do this. The way that I see that continue, don't give up. You know, the the, the, the thing about Leviticus up there, hey, we all know how hard Leviticus is, right? But if you look at Leviticus, guess what it's going to point to? Leviticus is going to point to something that we don't like to talk about, and that's the holiness of God. Leviticus is about the holiness of God. And by the way, Peter says, be holy because I am holy. So yes, Leviticus does have relevance for our life because it points us to the holiness of God. And sometimes I feel like we miss those things because what we want to do is we want to just react to the moment and we want God to speak whatever we're going through at that particular point in time, which is a great thing. But sometimes God chooses to teach us and train us in a methodical way, as we go through a book together, or as we go through a study together. As I go through the the book of Genesis, and I learn about the patriarch, and I learn about Joseph. My point is just have a method. Uh, We as elders have gone through an elder study. We're beginning an elder study together. And somebody went through the chapter and sent us a picture of the book about elder study. And the reference was, this is good stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, the Bible's good stuff because whether you're an elder, a mom, a dad, a young person, it has relevance for it. There is no other book that can speak to our hearts and minds through the spirit of God in a way and it's good to methodically study the body. Meditate, have a method, and the last thing is memorize. Verse 25 says, but the one who looks intently in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, there it is again. Don't forget what you've heard. How do you not forget what you've heard? Well, I think you do this. You memorize it. You memorize it. You get out the three by five card and you go, wow, this is a great verse. Daniel chapter two, verse 22. I'm going to memorize that, I guarantee you. And I'm going to get my three by five card down. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to write that down and I'm going to keep that three by five card in front of me. I'm going to put it up in my mirror and I'm going put it in. what I'm going to do is I'm going to memorize Deuteronomy chapter two, verse 22. And I think that's what he says. Listen, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, what he's going to be blessed. He's going to be blessed. Let me close with this. Psalm 19 that I I read at the beginning, it talks about um, God's word being more precious than gold and more pleasant than honey. Why is that true? Why is it more precious than gold and more precious than honey? Not because it's there, because it's something that we taste. You know, I'm going to taste the honey. I'm going to go after. It. And, and when I taste the honey, what? It's, it's inside of me. The word of God is inside of me and I'm meditating on the word of God and when it's, it's changing me on the inside. It's readily available in my life so that the spirit of God can use it whenever I need to, whenever life is difficult and whenever I'm challenging with. So it's the end of January. So just, just a couple of things just to wrap up this series. I want to encourage you wherever you're at with the Bible, whether it's, whether it's just reading the Psalms every day or whether it's reading through the Bible. I want to continue to encourage you to do that because that is going to radically influence your life. Second thing I might challenge you is, is be in the context of community where you're learning from one another because iron sharpens iron. You know, you're, you're learning from other people about what God is doing in their life. You know, have a method for studying God's word. And when God's word confronts you, ask God for the courage to walk in obedience to it, to allow it to change your life. Because it will radically affect you in such a way that you will have success. You know, the book of Galatians says you reap what you sow. Hmm, You reap what you sow. So I'm going to sow next week, next month, next year, what I'm reaping right now. I want to tell you something. I want to be reaping By meditating and studying on God's word. Don't we all want to do that? Isn't this good stuff? Why is it good stuff? Because it points to the person by the name of Jesus who came on this earth and for 33 years lived. And for three and a half years, he walked upon this earth. He was the word made flesh and he went to the cross and he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. And our lives are forever different because of that. And that person, Jesus, the word implanted is what is able to save us. Father, I pray that we would be people of your word because ultimately the word points us to Jesus. Father, we may be lacking courage. Father, I pray that your word would give us courage. Father, we may be lacking wisdom in a relationship or we may be down. Uh, We may be going through something that no one else knows. God, you are the one that knows what is hidden in the darkness. And Father, you are the one that can give us light. And so, Father, we simply want to open our hearts and our minds to the Word of God to allow the Word of God to have its way in our lives. Father, that you would transform us into the person of Jesus. Father, thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.